Josh. And I am Alyssa. And we are back, finally, with today's episode of The Podcast Was On Fire. And it wasn't my fault. A read-along pod where we dig into the good, the great, and the problematic of the Dresden Files series by Jim Butcher, old, long-time Dresden vet. And this is my first time through. And together, we gorge ourselves on the holiday treats, and we take long naps on the couch as we figure out what happened. (laughs) How you doing today, Ice? I'm doing all right. Oh, man, oh, man. It is good to be back. We had a uh, one-week hiatus, and it feels like it was longer than that. Seriously. It's that it's that it's that limbo week, though, you know, yeah, like that I was forced to work my normal hours. But that limbo week between Christmas and New Year's, I saw a great calendar that was talking about how like every day is Sunday between Christmas. and New Year's. <laughs> <laughs> a great way to think about it. Cause Saturday, it's not like you're partying every night, but it is definitely like a lazy not, day. Yeah, I wish it was. It was, This is also a very, very busy week at work for me every year. Oof, I imagine just people hold on. Yeah, big, 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 uh, good Charlotte fans, I imagine. <laughs> Dork. Um, I just got back into town yesterday afternoon. It is good to be back home. Small H at this point, <laughs> but uh, it's cold. It's cold in Seattle. I imagine. How are things up in the uh, South Bay? It is chilly as well. It's been really rainy here. Ooh, home sweet oh, yeah. home. You know. But it uh, didn't rain on New Year's, so I could walk home from the bar and not have to get an Uber. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah, they got these, um, those scooters. Uh-huh. You, ever, you ever use those scooters? No. Those scooters? No. It's always raining and it's cold, so you gotta like wrap up. I do like the, you know, the scarf around the mouth kind of thing. And I hit the scooters when I'm going out to bars at nights. Nice. It costs like three bucks to go to the bar. And, you know, it's like great. Technically, probably, you know, not finishing that sentence. It's interesting. I do know a guy that got like crashed one of those you know like I'm a huge flats. Yeah, yeah. You know, you you you're not allowed to touch the scooters. Like you'll fall <laughs> over you'll fall over them trying to pick them up. Quite possibly. Oh goodness. They have I been posted this it. meme on Facebook today that is terribly entertaining to me, but it's yeah. It's not. I want to wear a huge, beautiful dress and run down a castle hallway at least once. And it's basically it's uh Tumblr. And there's yeah, just, just looking at that actually. What if yeah. you trip and die and turn into one of those stereotypic long dressed ghosts who's always seen flying down castle hallways? Worth it. And <laughs> I would be that because I'm the klutz. Oh, absolutely. A hundred thousand times over am I the klutz. But yeah, I could totally be that ghost. Oh my goodness gracious. You should be that ghost. <laughs> so I need a couch. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at there's like this really interesting like couch thing for like 82 bucks on facebook but i don't trust it you know so i'm not gonna do it yeah like on messenger whatever <laughs> oh yeah that marketplace do you have a ikea by you you can get a temporary couch at ikea for not too much a temporary couch what does that mean well a couch that's like it's not a forever couch you know but it's a couch at least a decent couch for a little while i don't think any couch should be a forever couch really well like a long-term couch you know mine are all <laughs> inherited i have the brown couch and one of the white ones with pink flowers on it from mom's house. So, oh, yeah, I remember those. Those were grandmas, weren't they? Grandma Carol's? No, 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 no. Oh, they were mom's. Okay. I thought we got them secondhand ourselves. Nah. There was another one that I had when I was in Ventura 
that we had gotten from somebody that I got. Oh my gosh. I literally got back from the airport, dropped off my bag, got in the car, went to practice last night. I was like so dead. Well, anything else you got excited in your world or should we get into this thing? Not a darn thing. I'll go with you. We are a week or so away out or you know, two weeks since our last release. So you want to give us a, a quick rundown here as we get into the last chunk of proven guilty. This book has been kind of stop start because we took some time to do some short stories in the middle. So this is the longest we've had from start to finish of a novel. So hopefully people remember way back when we started episode one on this novel. But today we chew into episode seven of proven guilty. You want to hit us off? All right. So at the very beginning of our tale here, Mr. Harry Dresden found himself in a warehouse in the middle of Chicago watching a kid get his head cut off. A young warlock who had broken this, the rule of magic in which he manipulated people's minds. The, the gatekeeper told Harry there's black magic afoot in town. And Harry gets back at the house. We learn he has a perfect model of the city of Chicago in his basement lab, laboratory. Made out of pewter. Then we have Molly gives us a phone call and says that she needs to be bailed out. We learn Molly does not need to be bailed out, but it is, in fact, boyfriend Nelson. Harry gets him out, gets a little bit of a rundown, and we are introduced to Splattercon! Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. A horror movie convention. And at said horror movie convention, a horror movie villain comes to life and hacks splats and axes a few people. Story continues. We learn that these horror movie villains keep coming. In the midst of everything, we have a little sit-down chat with Lily and Fix, the summer lady and her knight, and we learn that Titania has restricted them from being able to tell Harry really anything or to help him in some ways. Let's see. Then we find out that Molly's friend is pregnant and hospitalized after being attacked. Harry does a little bit of his... Does a little bit of his using his sight to see how these different people that were involved in these attacks were affected, and they all have injuries on their soul. Rosie, the pregnant friend, has a very specific injury to the side of her head. We also learn that she is a recovering addict of heavy drugs, basically. We move along, and Harry is trying to figure out where these bad guys are coming from, and he figures out that they are being sent or summoned from the never-never. He sets up a spell to catch him. In doing so, he sends them to Molly's house. Her brother is injured and gives us a little rundown about what happened. And Molly is taken at that point. So we need to, we find out that we need to go save Molly from the never-never. She is in fairy, and we get together a little gang of Harry, Charity, Murphy, and Thomas. Fix and Lily are going to help us out. But then we learn that they can't really help them out. They have to hold the door open. They go in and they storm Arctis Tor, which is Mab's stronghold in the dead of winter. And they free Molly. Harry sends some magic down the wellspring of the winter court. And they are they rescue themselves and are back in Never Neverland or real land. We also learn that Charity has magic, which she suppressed. And while everybody is sleeping, Molly tries to sneak out. Harry confronts her, does a soul gaze on her, 
and learns that while she is touched by the darkness, she is not without hope. And that's what you missed on Glee. <laughs> Indeed. So as Lizzie touched on, she, you know, Molly did some bad and she's decided to, you know, take her uh, comeuppance here from the White Council and turn herself in. Harry is setting that up. And the first thing we get to in chapter 43 is Harry making the phone call to report as a beautiful warden that he has found evidence of black magic and he's going to bring in the perpetrator. It's a fun phone conversation as these phone conversations with the White Council tend to be from Harry. There's a good one later on, but this is a similar energy where he basically is doing what he needs to do, but he's also injecting what he wants to have happen in the conversation. So he, he tells her that we're going to have a hearing and it's basically a grunt, you know, a kid answering the, the phone who says, I don't think we do hearings anymore. He's like, yeah, we do. We just haven't done him for a while, which is, is the last hearing. Was it his? Do we think? Oh, Harry's as in, I guess we haven't had one for 10 or 12 years. Probably not. I think Harry's is probably earlier, but it might. You're, you're not far off for sure. That's funny. That I didn't, was my, yeah, I didn't put that together. That's that. great. That's great. I love that. No, good catch. It's interesting because he's referencing the hearing they had 10 or 12 years ago. And then he, in the next sentence, says, tell him we'll use the same location, sundown tomorrow. He means the same location as the execution from earlier in the novel. Yeah. And everyone shows up, so clearly they understand that. But that, that's not good explanations there, Harry. No, no, it really isn't. Um, I knew what he, he was talking about, too. I didn't even have to think about it. But now that you mentioned it, yeah, that is really awful. Absolutely. He already starts in this conversation kind of the word, what do, they, what do you call it? It's like a, it's a word battle. It's kind of like a rap battle with the white council where she says, you know, you captured a warlock warlock and he, you know, he, he, he refers to her as a young woman and they refer to her as a warlock. And we see a lot of that exact back and forth with the Merlin coming up where the specific language we use to talk about someone matters. And you well, do see notice the, that throughout oh, throughout these novels. We mentioned that on the regular. Well, you see that in the real world too. When we talk about, you know, how news media injects bias into things, you know, so like Trayvon Martin, for instance, was a young man as opposed to a boy, you know, like, like changing yeah. the language around things really does affect how things are, you know, it just, it's just, it's intentional and it's, you see it as we get through it with, with the war and they really do shine a light on that coming up later. But we also mention that regularly in this, we talk about how words have meanings and absolutely a hundred thousand percent. I like when he says, all you have to do is pass the word up the chain to the bosses. And she sounds almost grateful. <laughs> like, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I need to, I can move on from this. Warden Ramirez is going to be on security. Fornhill gives a little knock, you know, asks if he's finished, which he let him into the room. He said, you know, close the door, gave him privacy. And then as soon as he's done, knocks on the door. So is Fort, Fort Hill's definitely standing there listening at the door, right? Like hundred <laughs> percent. That's what I took from this. Would he uh, do anything else though? It's like, again, him like looking out for, for the carpenters. They have a quick chat about Nelson where Harry decides because it was really just Molly creating fear. He's not actually pursued, but he's fucked up. You know, Harry says he doesn't know where to begin helping him. And, and you know, Father Fort Hill says, you may not know where to begin, but I do. Don't worry. The boy won't be left alone, which is great. I love that Father Fort Hill to the rescue. <laughs> As we've seen uh, so much in this uh, novel. And they have a, a good chat, which comes up a couple times from here in the end of the novel, where it's like, why 
yeah, they're assuming that the white God is the one pulling, pulling strings as this type of community would. I'm trying to describe how this one, because this is an interesting, like philosophical discussion of, do you really believe that charity, what you told charity about me, that God arranged for me to be there for Molly? I do. I know that you, you don't hold much with the religion Dresden, but I've come to know that over the years, I think you're a decent man and that God knows his own. Meaning what? Meaning mostly that I have faith that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. I meant what I said about you. Barry Dresden, I'm on a mission from God. <laughs> Seems an unlikely coincidence, does it not? That the one person Michael knows on the council should be the one person in position to best help his daughter? Just when he was called away. Coincidences happen. And I don't think God's got me warming up in the bullpen to be one of his champions. Mm. Perhaps not. But I think that well, that you are being prepared nonetheless. Prepared? For what? By whom? It's an old man's hunch. That's all. That the things you're facing now are there to prepare you for something greater. Something more. That is interesting as fuck to me. Yeah. <laughs> that conversation. You know, they're kind of going over the back and forth on why Harry's being, you know, why Harry was in the right spot to help Molly there. Mm -hmm. And then Fordo kind of changes the subject very briefly, but very significantly. Yeah. About kind of the greater purpose of our Harry Blackstone Copperfield Dresden. You know, we, Harry does mention his purpose a lot. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And I, this is just kind of a reiteration of said purpose almost, because, you know, that's one of the things that Harry needs a purpose. Mm -hmm. I think we've, we've discussed that before. He needs to have a purpose. He needs to be able to help and do his, his flavor of good in the world. And this is yeah. very much a, an example of that. And Fort Hill just noticing that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, we've seen Fort Hill and him have been cool since before we met Fort Hill, right? We met yeah. Fort Hill and T Michael introduces him to Harry and they already know each other. They shake hands because uh, Fort Hill had blessed a vat of holy water for him. Interestingly, and I love that. But you know what? Father Joe Mullen would do that for us. <laughs> for any any nascent vampire hunters. Mm -hmm. But also for any vampire hunters listening, I did some investigating. And by investigating, I mean I Googled something on accident one time. But to, <laughs> to make new holy water, you either have to bless the water or you can mix it at just over 50%. So if you have a table, oh. tablespoon of holy water, mix it with just under a tablespoon of water, you have just under two tablespoons of holy water. Interesting. Then you can mix that with just under, just under two tablespoons of water. And you have just under, just under four tablespoons of water. And you can keep doubling it up. Just, you know, wait, wait a tick. Add a little bit, wait, add a little bit, wait, add a little bit, wait. You know what I mean? <laughs> and eventually the ocean can be holy. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, that's all I'm saying. Tell me um, how you made that. <laughs> goodness gracious. She's only going to cook with holy water. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But that is a cool kind of... Uh... Well, the fact that they have specific rules for that is funny, but it makes sense. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm not surprised that there are specific rules for it. Good so to know. They carry on this conversation again. I feel like I really do need to read the whole thing because it's hard to like break down. But you know, the, the question is, why is Harry there in this moment mm -hmm. particularly and it, it, you know is it because the almighty knew that harry was going to take care of molly or was it just coincidence sure you know they don't even they, oh, they, they don't even think that maybe there's coincidence here they're beyond that part of the conversation 
But, no, I know. But later, later he mentions coincidence. Yeah, but like, like maybe the Almighty didn't send Michael away right when he, when what he needed was to protect his daughter. Maybe he sent Michael away because that's exactly what he wanted him to do. Mm-hmm. If I'm wrong, it would be one hell of a coincidence. I don't understand that at all. What he's talking about there? What would the coincidence be? Maybe he's referencing what happens in the end. But this paragraph has never made sense to me. Maybe did you get anything more meaningful out of that? Like. It's, the way I saw it was that Harry's saying that, you know, it just happened. It's not anything the Almighty was putting, you know, all of his, his you know, eggs in one basket. It's just, you know. Well, no, I, because he says, if I'm wrong, it would be one hell of a coincidence. Uh, so he's saying it's not a coincidence. I just don't understand what he is saying. <laughs> um, goodness. But so he asks him to go get Molly because now that she is officially imperiled, Legally with the White Council, he's not allowed to let her out of his sight. And we head on down to chapter 44. All right. The beetle is back in operation. The mechanic said that the beetle was ready to resume active duty and that while it didn't look like much, the car would roll when I pushed the pedals. (laughs) So Harry and Molly head to the lakeside warehouse. It's a creepy, ugly place. She asks, what comes next? And Harry gets out of the car. And as they're standing there, Ramirez steps out of a veil that had hidden him. And Harry says, good veil. Way better than the other day. <laughs> I, was, I wasn't here the other day. He assured me with bland confidence. Your work, I asked. I make it look easy. It's a curse to be so damn talented when I'm already obscenely good looking. But I try to soldier on as best I can. I love their banter. I really do like Ramirez a lot. He seems... Uh-huh. Kind of like that sense of humor that Harry has, but he is less self-deprecating humor. (laughs) Certainly just a smidge less. Uh, Just a smidge less. And Harry introduces Molly to him. And Ramirez says that he needs to speak with Harry privately. And Ramirez says, Miss, I need you to remain exactly where you're standing now. All right. Well, spells. You think she's that that dangerous? I think it's security protocol. If you didn't want me doing it, you shouldn't have asked me. Which it says a lot about how much Harry trusts him, I think. And I was thinking that when we first learned that he says Ramirez is doing security. I really kind of, it says a lot. He's kind of taking him under his wing, but he's also trusting him. And he says that the kid, that's her. Did you get a chance to examine the the victims? Yeah. She's someone you know, crud. Why? I don't think today is going to go well for her. Why not? Because of how the battle in Oregon played out. Once the forces from Summer attacked their rear, we got gave the vamps one hell of a beating. Morgan got within about 20 feet of the Red King himself. Morgan killed him? No, but it wasn't for lack of trying. He cut down a duke and a pair of counts before the Red King got away. Damn, but what does that have to do with Molly? We had the Reds by the balls. Sunrise was coming in the real world, and when they tried to retreat into the Never Never, the fairies were on them like a school of piranhas. The Reds had to find a way to draw off some of our heavies, and they found it. Lucio's boot camp. So we learn that Ebenezer McCoy listens to Wynn and Martha Liberty all led a force to relieve the camp. They haven't yet reported, which means that Harry has no support in the senior council at this point. Who has their proxies? We didn't hear from you until after they had left, so they didn't entrust their proxies to anyone. So the Merlin holds them by default, and he doesn't much like me. He'd cast the votes to condemn her, just to spite me. It gets better. Ancient Maya is still in Indonesia, and the 40A is covering the Venatori while they relocate. The Merlin has their votes, too. And I don't think the gatekeeper is coming. 
So the only one whose opinion counts is the Merlin. Pretty much. You don't look surprised. I'm not. If something can go wrong, it does. I've accepted that by now. I've just told you the kid will probably be found guilty before she's been tried. Yeah. The help that Harry had been counting and colleagues in the senior council is gone. And Merlin's going to be judge, jury, and executioner. Well, judge and jury anyway. Morgan would do the executing. Oof. Mm-hmm. He said, fine, I can deal with this. I thought you'd look more upset. Would it help if I started foaming at the mouth? <laughs> no. It might explain a few things, but it wouldn't help per se. Water, bridge, spilt milk, except things you cannot change. In other words, you have a plan. <laughs> of course, Harry has a plan. And so a motorcycle comes driving up and lo and behold it is a summer night and lady well crap you going to turn this into some kind of a fight los would i do that you just had to ask me to handle security <laughs> yet another reason why he asked him he trusts uh, him though and you know he trusts him not to necessarily be as hard-nosed as someone else like morgan might be but i like that level of trust the depth of that trust mm-hmm, mm-hmm. carlos hands harry a black cloth. And Harry says, you've got to be kidding me. It's protocol, Harry. It's sadistic and unnecessary. I'm not offering an option. Here, I don't like it either, but if you violate protocol now, especially in a case that involves mind control magic, it will be all the excuse that Merlin needs to declare the proceedings potentially compromised. He'll be able to pass summary judgment on the girl and put you and me both on precautionary pro- on precautionary probation. And then Harry talks about how the one thing he remembers from his time before the council was the scent of the black cloth hood. He makes a really good point about how the cloth being over his head makes him not a person, that he's only a creature, a statistic, and one that was a potential threat at that. It would be far easier to pass and met out a death sentence when one did not have to look at the face of the damned. But he comforts Molly anyway. He says, I'm not going anywhere. So he puts the hood over Molly's head and takes her hand and leads her inside. Blood might not stain a warden's cloak, but it's all but impossible to get out of an old, porous concrete floor. The Merlin, Morgan, and a dozen wardens stood in the same places they had before, a loose circle that surrounded the dark brown stain and yet remained in the spot where young warlock had been beheaded. I like that reference to the opening line. Mm-hmm. The callback there is great. I mentioned that Morgan has a couple of recent nicks from the battle. Mm-hmm. There's an interesting expression with Harry that we don't really get a whole lot of explanation for, but they have a couple of these looks throughout this chapter, which I thought were really interesting. Mm-hmm. He again referencing fencing, which is funny. Apparently, he's just a huge fencing fanatic, which <laughs> <laughs> is great. It comes up so often. Yeah, they exchange a nod. And Harry gets the sense that Morgan knows that he's not going to let the girl get hurt without a fight. And so he's kind of like drumming on his sword. It's almost anxious. It is. He's anxious. It's tense. And I love that they know each other so well after all this time, basically, that it's just a very, like, if Harry's bringing a warlock in, something's already up. Yeah. And we know it's not going to be a standard, uh, you know, Quick chat and a snip. <laughs> we know this. Quick chat and a snip. The Merlin takes a look at him. In my mind, the Merlin looks exactly like Dumbledore. <laughs> I'm not sure. That's kind of what I what I get. Ramirez closes the circle, but right before he does, the gatekeeper strolls up. 
which is fantastic. Which is always fantastic. We like him. We love seeing him come through our one-eyed friend. And he gives Molly a quick uh, squeeze of her hand as he steps forward and says, is there anyone here who doesn't understand English? Council meetings are conducted in Latin, Merlin said. A, Harry's Latin sucks. We already know this. But B, he's got guests. And if they want to disrespect the summer lady and the summer knight by using a language they don't speak, get after it. Otherwise, fucking respect our allies. And so he's basically forced now that the conversation is going to be in English, which is great. Gives him an opportunity to at least communicate and Molly an opportunity to kind of hear what's going on. And understand. Exactly. That's true. She can always hear it, but she can understand it. The first thing he does is he gives the floor to the recently mentioned summer lady, and he allows the representative of the summer court to address the white council. And she gives a quick speech, and she thanks two in particular who've gained the admiration of Queen Titania and the summer court, Warden Morgan. Your courageous defense of the Venatori and their retainers and your assaults upon the Red King were feats she has never seen bettered. My queen extends her compliments and congratulations to you, Warden, and the council you serve. Furthermore, she will, not let, she will not let such acts of daring and dedication go unremarked or unrewarded, and she has bidden me bestow upon you this token. I name thee friend and esquire to the summer court, Warden Morgan, and you find yourself in peril near the realm of the she once, and only once, you need but touch this device and call aloud upon Titania for aid. I thank thee, your highness. We learned that this is the Order of the Silver Oak. An oak leaf of pure silver was the, the gift that she bestowed upon him. And it's basically what you get for being a good dude in Titania's eyes. Mm-hmm. Lily turns and says, Warden Dresden, your contribution to the battle is every bit as admirable. My queen has bid me his contribution. Visitary's oh fuck moment. (laughs) Was not present at the battle. Indeed not. In the late hours two nights ago, Warden Dresden planned and led a small force in a raid upon Arctus Tor itself. Warden Dresden and his team won through the defenders of the fortress and launched an assault of fire upon the icy wellspring at the heart of Arctus Tor. His actions disrupted the dispositions of the forces of winter upon our borders, compelling them to retreat to deal with the offenders. Once there, the flow of time through the region was slowed, creating an opportunity for our own forces to come to your aid. <laughs> What's she talking about? I didn't know I was going there until I got there. And the only fighting left to do was all the fetches. Mm-hmm. Fix murmured back. And yet not one word of what she said was untrue. <laughs> oh. In short, honored Merlin. Ways of a fairy. Mm-hmm. Had Dresden not attacked the lair of Mab herself, the mightiest fortress in winter, had Dresden not stormed the gates of Arctus Tor, the battle would have surely been lost. Every soul who came home again from the battle owes his life to Harry Dresden and his courage. <laughs> she gives him an oak leaf as well. So I have a question about the oak leaves. You want to hear? No, that, I mean, it just... I'll write it yeah. down. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm intrigued by it. Those may or may not come up again. We'll see. We also learn that since these winter forces are now back on the border, the summer forces are likewise predisposed and they cannot come to the wizard's aid anymore. But obviously this was a big moment. Lily gives them some light shit for basically expecting the summer lady to do her bidding, do his bidding rather like Mm -hmm. I'm going to do my own shit. And if it helps you great. And you're grateful for me 
doing that. <laughs> yeah. I will do it and you will like it. And we get to the trial itself and there's so much of it. I don't like it. Let's just say I don't like a lot. Of it. We, you know, we kind of get into the nuts and bolts where the Merlin asks why we're here and Harry explains it. And again, we have that back and forth where is this woman, the warlock, this girl is kind of every step of the way. He adds humanity to Molly really showing the council that this is a human, this is a human life. You know, it's a person who used mind magic to stop her friends abusing heroin. Her friend is pregnant. She was trying to save her child. You know, again, I just, I just really do love this. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, she's, she's fully guilty. She did the wrong thing for the right. She did the wrong thing for the right reason. And this is a huge part of life. It's always complicated. And I just, I love this scene in so many ways. She violated the will, the free will of another human being. She did, but in ignorance, Merlin, she didn't know the laws or the side effects. Her actions were to prevent, prevent injury. And there's some politicking that goes on, which usually this is the stuff I love, but I don't really like the way this is handled here. But where the Merlin asks if Warden, another warden had confirmed her condition or the condition of the Oh, yeah, this is shady. And, you know, Ramirez says that the trauma was serious, but it's his belief that they'll both recover. Is that your opinion, Warden Ramirez? based no doubt upon your exp extensive experience. It's like, what? why would he say that? Like, obviously, obviously that pisses off Morgan, or sorry, that pisses off Ramirez. It is the opinion of the duly appointed regional commander of the Western United States. I believe that the Merlin should remember that he personally appointed me. If it hasn't faded into a blur of senility. Morgan, you will apologize to the Merlin and moderate, moderate your tone, Morgan says. Of course, Captain. I ask your forgiveness, Merlin. The last few days have been difficult for everyone. Of course. My choice of words was less polite than it could have been. So Merlin gets to be a dick. And then because he apologizes, I was like, oh, apologize. I was like, mm. I, I think he's still a ploy. A, it is all a ploy. And I just don't like any of it. I do like this exchange where he says, to continue, Warden Dresden, have you soul gazed the prisoner? I have. You are convinced of her guilt? I am but I'm also convinced her actions do not represent the malice that defines a true warlock. Thank you for your opinion, Warden Dresden. Doubtless offered to us out of your own extensive experience. <laughs> Thank your pardon, Merlin, but when it comes to the council sitting in self-righteous, arrogant judgment over a young wizard who made an honest mistake, I believe I have more experience than anyone in this room. And at this point, he stops speaking to the Merlin and he starts doing Harry Dresden-y stuff. He talks about how there's, you know... <laughs> Wizards, friends, brothers and sisters in arms, you know why this is happening. You know how thinly stretched our resources have become. In the past three years, the council has tried and condemned more warlocks than in the past 20 years. They have no support, no training, no one to warn them of the consequences or dangers of their actions. I reached out and jerked that fucking black hood off from Molly's head. The girl suddenly stood, blinking at the light. Tears had streaked her makeup into dark stains running down her face. She stuttered and lowered her eyes, staring at the blood-stained floor. This is Molly. She's 17 years old. Her best friend had already lost one unborn child because of the drug she'd been addicted to. She knew it was going to happen again. So to protect that child's life, to protect her friends from their addiction, Molly made a choice. She used her power. She made a wrong choice. No one denies that. 
She admits it's herself. But look at her. She's no monster. She understands what she did was wrong. She understands she needs help. She submitted herself to this council's judgment freely. She wants to learn to control her power and handle it responsibly. She came here hoping to find guidance and help. For God's sake, wizard, if we're to survive this war, we need all the talent we can get. Molly's death would be a foolish waste. There's been enough blood spilled on this floor. I beg you to consider clemency. Levy the doom of Damocles if you must, but I beg you to spare her life. I will take personal responsibility for her training and accept the consequences of any actions she takes. Molly began trembling. Small whimpering sounds came from her. The Merlin's eyes narrowed. And with that single revealing expression, I suddenly knew that I'd made a terrible mistake. I'd outmaneuvered him. I'd startled him with my insult and delivered my speech effectively. I could see on their faces the uncertainty, the sympathy. More than one wizard had glanced at the bloodstains. More than one looked at Molly's face and grimaced in sympathy for her fear. Warden Dresden, your compassion does you a credit. But as you have yourself have pointed out, our resources are spread too thinly. The Council cannot afford to have a regional commander of the Wardens burdened with a hazardous rehabilitation of a warlock. The duties of the war and of the containing the increasing occurrence of black magic must have your full attention. Oh, God. The laws of magic are clear. The prisoner admits her guilt. I am not unmoved by the prisoner's plight. But we are involved in a war for our very survival. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. I therefore take no pleasure in pronouncing that the prisoner's fate. It is the judgment of the senior council that the prisoner is a warlock, guilty of breaking the fourth law. The sentence is death, to be carried out immediately. Uh-huh. The Merlin then orders the Morgan. Or, sorry, the Merlin then orders Morgan. <laughs> that, that, that position really should be called the Morgan. <laughs> right. Everybody is just not happy. Ramirez had a stunned look on his face. Lily looked remote and troubled. Fix's expression was blank, but his jaws were clenched hard, muscles standing out and creating shadows on his face. Mary, uh, Molly is freaking out, understandably. Morgan moves slowly towards her. But Morgan also looks disturbed. But it didn't stop him from moving towards Molly with a steady, dreamlike slowness, sword in hand. I promised charity. I took my staff in both hands and stepped forward, putting myself between Morgan and the girl. Morgan, I said, stars and stones, man, please don't do this. She's a child. We should be helping her. He froze in place for a terrible heartbeat. Then he closed his eyes and swallowed, his face twisting with nausea. He opened his eyes again and, please, and the pressure against his spine. And he turns around and sees the gatekeeper. Point of order. Point of order. The senior council has not yet made his decision. The senior council has decided the issue. No. The senior council must decide any capital crime in an open vote. I pointed my finger at the gatekeeper. He has not cast his vote. I hold six of the seven votes. However, the honored gatekeeper decides it will not change the outcome. True. But that doesn't change the fact that he gets a damned vote. Why are you doing this? It is over. You only torment the prisoner with this unnecessary charade. He gets a vote. Morgan said very, very quietly. He's right, honored Merlin. As you wish, we shall play this farce to its conclusion. Gatekeeper, how find you in this matter? And the gatekeeper said, 
Nothing. He just stood there, his face almost invisible beneath his cowl. Gatekeeper, how find you? I find the need for deliberation. I beg the council's indulgence while I ponder this matter. Ridiculous. Death is rather final, honored Merlin. I must consider carefully before I consign a soul, any soul, no matter how guilty, to that end. This is nonsense. It will make no difference how you vote. The gatekeeper replied very gently, the faintest shade of rebuke in his voice. But that does not change my moral obligation to make this decision with care. I suppose a few moments for not. I spare. I suppose a few moments for thought are not unreasonable. Thank you. Five minutes went by, like five thousand years. Enough, the Mer Merlin said finally. This travesty needs to end. <laughs> On that point, we agree. And then he stepped forward to the circle, marked on the floor, and smudged it with his boot. Breaking the circle, he flicked a glove hand, and the lock on the chained door sprang open and fell away, followed closely by the chains. I'm writing a note, sorry. What is the meaning of this? The gatekeeper ignored him and pushed open to the door. One of the wardens on guard outside stood in front of it, one hand raised as if to knock. He blinked at the gatekeeper and then looked over his shoulder and said, It's open, sir. Get clear of the door, fool. Get me inside, hurry. They're right behind us. Outside an eerie howl and a sudden detonation of thunder that shook the concrete floor. A bunch of young folks in robes come on, came on in. They're all about Molly's age. And then came in Lucio in the body of the young necromancer that had trapped her. The kids must have been her trainees. And then came in Martha Liberty and listens to wind. And he shouted, I'm closing the way now. Listens to wind sagged and leaned against the doorway, panting. He then rose and stood aside as Ebenezer McCoy came in. He was smiling over the pugnacious set of his lower jaw. Ebenezer reached behind him to hold the door open. Michael came in and he bore Amarachius in his hands. He glanced around the room, a smile firm on his face. Mm -hmm. Papa! Who the hell is this? Ramirez demanded, frowning at Michael. He looked like he didn't know whether to be upset or disturbed that an armed and armored stranger yeah. had just waltzed in and was now standing inside all of his security measures. He's a bloody hero is what he is. If he hadn't come along when he did, not a one of us would have gotten out of there alive. I've only heard of you by reputation, Sir Knight, but I've got to say that I'm damn glad to meet you. I was so excited when Michael showed up. Oh, my God. The vote isn't over, which means that the three of them will need to cast their votes as well. Obviously. That's Michael, Knight of the Cross. Which sword? Amarachius. The Merlin lifted a brow and nodded, never looking at me. Looks like he just saved about 40 of our young people, so it would seem. Seems like the least we can do is save one of his. There's no downside to this for you. If you're wrong about Molly, the council gets another wizard. Fairly talented one. And if I'm right. If you're right, you still get to kill the girl. True. And you with her. The Merlin is a dick. He really is. He grows on you. <laughs> I mean, not like he gets... He's the same guy always. Not like, oh, he, his character softens. No. He's just a dick. He just, he just grows on me. After a second, much lengthy round of questions and answers, the senior council voted, and Molly was officially declared my apprentice. My apprentice? 
My Apprentice. <laughs> she got the Doom of Damocles, as Harry had, which meant if she abused her magic, she'd be executed, and Harry would be executed as well. They started escorting everybody out. Since Harry kind of called the Conclave, he had to kind of wait around and make sure everybody got home okay. Harry'd saved the day. With Lily's help, they'd given the vampires a stiff kick in the balls. The fight was far from over. Which we aren't surprised with. Oh, of course not. He talks about this, and this is something he struggles with. He's not a good politician. The Merlin is a great politician. That's how he's the, the Merlin, right? Harry says he gambled horribly in his attempt to play the collective will of the council against the Merlin. Like, of course, if he'd been willing to eat a little crow, perhaps they'd come to some sort of compromise. Like, that, obviously. Like, why, why wouldn't that be the first thought? Why do you have to be, like, like shove it in his face right away? Like, I just... I want kind of kind of an unintentional thing, you know? Yeah, I guess. But it just seems like Harry does this sometimes where his mouth starts talking before he's in a position to make but it I make sense. We all have that issue on occasion. <laughs> I don't, Lizzie. I every Not at all, Justin. ...is chosen with a plum. Michael covered Lucio's retreat through the Never Never, which I like. Like, it's just, it's great that whole, I don't want to say coincidental. I mean, it really does go back to what Harry and Fort Hill were talking about, right? Like, basically. So the, all, all the pieces fell into place as they need to. Yeah, it's just too much for it to just be coincidence kind of thing, right? It was really cool. And Michael probably wouldn't have come back with them through the Never Never, but because Harry was able to get Fort Hill to reach out and they got a hold of him, he came back with them. Mm-hmm. And so, brilliant. absolutely. And lucky as well, you know, it all worked out. On the way home, we see that Molly, <laughs> Molly, I love it. She chattered on about a confusing blur of things for maybe two minutes and then went abruptly silent. <laughs> <laughs> she passed the fuck out. Uh, and so Michael asks Harry to give him a rundown. And he does, you know, except for the parts with Lashiel and Charity's magic. You know, he hears I do La- love that he respected that for Charity. Yeah. No, he definitely could have been a douche just for being a douche's sake. And what would Michael have thought about his wife? Absolutely nothing different. You know, nope, like, not in any way, shape, or form. Maybe even, maybe even she's more powerful for turning away from that temptation, right? Like, yeah. But because Charity doesn't want him to know, it's not my, it's not Harry's place. Exactly. But it, it very much emphasizes the respect that he has for Charity. And he mentions, you know, that he might not like her, but he does respect her. Yeah, exactly. Example. We have a talk about how Harry was so sure that this would work. And it comes down to basically, you know, Michael thinks that he's taking a leap of faith. And Harry says, no, I took your leap of faith. I love that. <laughs> oh, which I really do like. Michael believed it, was, it would have worked out. So sure, Michael believes it. Let's give it a crack. And then he references where he says that God's doesn't necessarily step in, even when they're supernatural, if evil afoot. Because I had one of those bastard denarians here last year, Quintus Cassius. You remember him? While I was lying there watching him slice his way into my guts. I thought maybe it would be a good time for someone like you to show up. You know, one of those Denarian nights, I thought to myself, hey, it'd be a great time for one of those Knights of the Cross to show up, eh? He turns Canadian. Didn't work out that way. What's your point? Heaven ain't safeguarding me, Michael, but you're different. I mean, technically, Quintus wasn't a Denarian at that point. So what's, right? He was just a dude. He wasn't supernatural. I mean, he was still supernatural. What do you mean? He turned into a snake. He turned into a snake when he had the coin. He didn't turn into that. No, he didn't turn into a snake he in. Into a he, snake, no, he he uh, conjured some snakes. Okay, but it's still supernatural. Sure, I mean he's a mag- he's a magician. Still, was a magician. They're called illusions, Michael. Uh, he, he was a still a wizard or a sorcerer, um, probably a sorcerer because we only saw him do snake magic. But he was still a sorcerer, but he wasn't a denarian at that point. 
That's all I'm saying. <laughs> and as I've seen how he's arranged things for you, Michael, in the past, what I did wasn't about faith. It's just a matter of deducing probabilities. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, I do too. It's great. He asks about Charity and Molly, and Harry says, reconcile. On polite speaking terms and hugging again, at least. <laughs> I love reconcile. Well, reconcile is <laughs> a strong word. <laughs> Michael says he wasn't sure it was ever going to happen. Harry says, sometimes I amaze even myself. <laughs> and again, he gets another chance to betray Charity's trust when Michael says, my Molly, magic. Isn't that the sort of thing passed through bloodlines? Johnny, doesn't have to be. Some people are just born with it. We don't really understand the how and why. Is Molly in danger? Some. She's got some real power and she's abused it. Yeah. You know, and, you know, Michael says that if she abuses her power again, the clemency is revoked. And Harry, you know, Harry says, yeah, they execute her. And you. Which, again, is like he's putting his life on the line in perpetuity, basically. Not quite in perpetuity, but certainly for the next few years to save Michael's daughter. And it's just like, you know, we talked offline about there's a great clip that surfaced a few years ago, but it's come back around. I've seen it a lot on my algorithm. Uh, it says more about me and my algorithm than anything else, I think. The last, <laughs> the last few weeks of Stephen Colbert talking about how much he loves Taylor Swift because the first time she had an opportunity, she was so nice to his daughter, such that he'll put on armor and follow her into battle. <laughs> I love that. It's a great clip. Please watch it. Stephen Colbert. We love Stephen Colbert. Similarly, like, Harry's doing something so special and powerful and important and dangerous for Michael's daughter. It just clearly means a ton to Michael. Um, oh, yeah. And their friendship as well. They get down to business a little bit. He's asking about Fidelacius, the sort of faith that's sitting in his popcorn tin. The popcorn tin, which is spectacular. <laughs> you know, have, you, have you found anyone? He's like, no, I really I haven't been looking, but like nobody's jumped out at me. Um, you know, it's tough to do two, th two, two out of three people covering the whole world, right? It's got to be yeah. difficult. <laughs> he's just like, you think maybe I should find a big rock or something? Stick the sword in and leave it on the White House lawn? <laughs> <laughs> the reference is, <laughs> you got a, blue, a, a uh, not Blues Traveler. <laughs> blues Brothers. Blues, blues Brothers reference and a uh, <laughs> sword in the stone almost back to back. Um, there's a very interesting note here as they continue this conversation about the sword of faith where Michael asks Harry to dig into the history of the sword you know and he says sooner sooner is better than later why i don't think i'll have the sword for much longer be really sad yeah right when the knights of the sword retired they usually did it feet first from the inside of a box michael did the uh office send you a memo <laughs> uh no instant but i'm not planning to change the way i live my life and i certainly have no intention of an early retirement and they start to talk about uh, every car ride with Michael and Harry is great because they have these uncomfortable conversations. Mm -hmm. Remember going all the way back to, do you love Susan? Like, yeah. so you're having sex with her. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. Um, it's like, as soon as they're in a car, it's like a confessional. It's great. <laughs> and Michael asks him, you know, why he's been avoiding, why Harry has been avoiding Michael. And you seem, well, somewhat more dour than I've seen you before avoiding everyone is it something i've done or perhaps someone in my family i don't like the line enough with the rhetoric it's a weird response but you know it isn't then maybe it's something you've done maybe something you should talk about with a friend and he's thinking that he's gonna respond talking about lashia but his 
brain basically takes over. And he says that last Halloween, I killed two people. Sort of. Yes. Once he was beaten, I had Mouse break his neck. This seems like a Mouse problem. <laughs> and then the other person he murdered, this one he actually did the murder and not Mouse. He said another was a necromancer called Corpse Taker. I shot her in the back of the head. This is like the third time this novel where they talk about him shooting Corpse Taker in the back of the head. Yeah. And I, I did most of a read through again as well. Um, I didn't quite catch back up, but I listened to this whole novel a dozen times over throughout this, this week, much less in history. But I got through almost the entire book on the, the reread as well. And I noticed each time, and it bothered me each time, because do you know where he shot Corpse Taker? The back of the head. He shot Corpse Taker in the cheek. Oh, did he? Uh-huh. So she was turning and looking at him. Because he yelled, Corpse Taker! And she turned, and then he pulled the trigger. It's, it's funny. They, again, they say it constantly throughout this novel that he shot her in the back of the head. He shot her in the back of the head. He shot her in the back yeah, of the head. That's right, I'm, though. I'm gonna, let me just try to find the exact quote. I should have done this. It should be, shouldn't be too hard. The bullet from my 44 hit her just over her right cheekbone. Her head snapped back and then forward. It might have been Lucio's body, but it was the corpse taker's expression of shock and surprise. It's just one of those little things that, like, you repeat it so much to yourself that this is just how it is. He shoot her in the back of the head, shot her in the back of the head, shot her in the back of the head. Because he points the gun at the back of her head. Yeah. And says, snake her. And she turns and he pulls the trigger. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just one of those funny moments that like doesn't mean anything. It's just, it's interesting that Jim, basically what this means is that Jim remembers it wrong. And it's funny. Jim thought of you just taking a deep breath. Uh, well, no, because like my thought was like, also like traumatic things, people remember differently. But Merlin said, did you not also shoot a woman in the back of the head who you only believed? Although yeah. that could have just been the uh, report, but M Morgan saw it. So it would have been Morgan's report. Mm. Interesting. Um, or maybe Morgan didn't see it, but it would have been Morgan's report and the bullet hole was in her cheek. <laughs> so, yeah, right. so how accurate is his report writing? Good, sir. We need to have a conversation. Uh -huh. Exactly. So these these well, Morgan's reports or these files might also be wrong, right? Everything might have to come into question. Exactly. It's like when Unre a cop gets shown dirty. Everything Unre he's worked Unre on. Later. But it's when <clears throat> they go back and check everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, for sure. There's been a few medical examiners that's happened to, too. Right. Mm -hmm. This conversation is great because you're having it with the exact right person, right? Michael... Mm -hmm respects and I loves respect. that. especially coming off of what he's do done and currently doing for his daughter michael's not just gonna fucking light him up you know like he's gonna yeah. be a fan here and you know harry says I, I i murdered them i've never killed man not like that cold i have nightmares i've been in this business longer than you have i know some of what you're feeling you feel like nothing is ever going to be right again you feel it you remember it perfectly and it won't leave you alone you feel like you're walking around with a sharp rock in your shoe you feel stain there isn't any way to make it disappear but it gets better with time and distance if you had to do it again would you twice as hard then what you did was a necessity harry so long as you did what you believed right you'll be able to live with yourself oh and harry so sad where he says you don't think less of me knowing that i'm a murderer i trust you i would never have left my family in your protection if i didn't you're a decent man harry good and then before his brain could get in the way he added, I picked up one of the blackened denarii, Michael. Lashiel. I expected shock, horror, outrage, maybe with the side order of contempt. But instead, Michael nodded. I know. You what? I know. You know. You knew? <laughs> he was taking his trash out 
when Nicodemus's car went by, he saw the whole thing. He saw him protecting Harry, little Harry. You know, and Harry's worried he's going to get slugged and driven off, driven off to private asylum, an asylum for wayward denarians. But Michael says, don't be ridiculous. Remember that the Knights of the Cross were not founded to destroy the denarian. We were founded to save them from the fallen. It's therefore my duty to help you in whatever way I can. I can help you discard the coin. If that is what you wish to do, it's best if you choose to do it yourself. I don't need to discard it, actually. I haven't really taken up the coin. I buried it. Never used it. That is good news, then. Though it means the fallen shadow is still attempting to persuade you, I take it. The mental chuckle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love Lashiel so much. And she starts laughing at this. She's trying. And again, this is the, we get the one-sided church view that, keep in mind, that Lashiel is a de- deceiver. One with thousands of years of practice. It knows people. It knows how to tell you lies you want to believe are true, but it exists for the single purpose to corrupt the will and beliefs of mankind. Don't ever forget that. May I ask what it's told you? No, wait, let me guess. It's appeared to you as an attractive young woman. She, she offers you knowledge. I love how, like, obviously. On point. Exactly. He just smashes the nail on the head. You know, she's giving him info. She's making his spells hit a little bit harder. And Michael says the way, the way to get rid of her is to give up the coin and set aside your own power. Her shadow will then dwindle and waste away. What do you mean set aside my power? Walk away from your magic. Forsake it forever. Fuck that. <laughs> I love that response. Absolutely. Molly's stuff is back at his place for some reason. I don't really know how that worked out but they're going to go back there and and pick stuff up. And again, they have more of that theoretical conversation that they had with Father Forthill, where like the possibility that the Lord sent people out in different spots to put, you know, in in the situation. But I like this one, that he went to the aid of Lucio and her trainees, not to free Molly, but to prevent Harry from fighting the White Council, because he was going to do that to protect Molly no matter no matter what yeah um right like even if someone else had found it to be molly right if this novel goes differently harry's always in that warehouse when molly carpenter's taken in and in every one of those worlds he throws down yeah and so this might have been the one world where he's in that warehouse and he throws down and he lives that's kind of what I took from this conversation. I don't yeah. know if that's how you read it. I like um, that though. Like if this is the Dr. Strange shaking hand one finger, we're like, this is the one time because you're, he's a warden. He's always in this room. And you know, at some point he would, he, he's going to find out who the kid is. He knew that it was some Korean kid, right? Yeah. He knew. So like, he's going to, as a warden, he's got, he's going to find out that this is a local kid. It's in his, you know, it's in his jurisdiction. So he'll be called in like this. He's going to find out that this is Molly Carpenter. And he's going to fight. Yeah. And this is the only universe where he doesn't actually come to that fight is when Michael walks in. Yeah. I just love that kind of shenan- that the shenanigans that it takes to get to that point. Yeah. Um, and the gatekeeper clearly knew that or had to know something along those lines, right? To, oh, 100%. To, the gatekeeper very clear. I mean, I mean, we saw, again, more evidence that he, he plays... He has- he temporal plays knowledge is yeah he what... plays fast and, fast and loose with the sixth law yeah <laughs> it's just kind of what it, it's what it's what um what's his face bob 
called temporal knowledge. Yeah, so that's actually exactly. the note I made about the gatekeeper. Yeah, I love that. I love this this thing that you you this idea that you started last time of getting kind of going back through as much as we can mm-hmm. because it really does change the way we oh, think I about it. I have like that. five pages of notes oh, in my yeah. phone about going back through it. And Joshy's got to edit all this overnight. Just remember. <laughs> I like that Michael, Michael agrees that he doesn't know of any other ways to get, get rid of Lashio's influence, but I, I haven't, that doesn't, that doesn't mean they don't, they're not out there. But I love that he says that. Oh yeah. He gives him, that, gives him, you know, I don't know everything. Yeah. But that's also very Michael. Mm-hmm. But when he says, if you should change your mind about the coin, Harry, if you want to get rid of it, I promise I'll be there for you. Thank you. I said and meant it. But his expression grew more sober. And if you should fall to temptation, if you should embrace the fallen or become ensnared by its will, he touched the hilt of the great sword and his face became bedrock granite, Old Testament determination that made Morgan's fanaticism look like a wisp of steam. If you change, I will also be there. No, thank you. <laughs> but that's also, we kind of knew that. Of course. I... <sighs> It's, it, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that interaction. I don't know how I feel about that interaction. Maybe we'll, we'll maybe I'll come to grips with it one way or another as we get into analysis here in a minute. But I definitely obviously want to come back to that exchange. Harry eventually responds, if that happens, I want you to. They get back to Harry's. I don't love this scene. Maybe so uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, in very many ways. And the fact that he knew it was going to happen. Like, yeah, I... Well, we're going to talk about this again in a couple different sections moving forward, but they talk about, you know, what's next for Molly. He's, you know, she's got to be, she's going to be his apprentice. She has to listen. She's going to have homework. She's going to have all sorts of stuff. And then he gets her a robe, a brown robe. That's going to be her, you know, um, apprentice attire and all that. And you know, she went and got wanted to get cleaned up again, as we've seen before. Like this is. It's her MO. Yeah, it's her MO. It's also like Harry just like, at some point you need to like pretend to be an adult. You know, she does a whole like sexy thing. She Coquette like she, thing. Yeah, she you know, she wants like she's fucked up, man. Like help this girl. Like you don't need to let this go this far and like she gets up, you know, getting naked. He tells her to kneel in front of him and he pours cold water on her. It's just not a great scene at all. It's again, like she's fucked up and like if, if this it's worse for him knowing what's what she's doing, right? Like he's not in the hotel room. He was more just like confused and not really thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Like at this point, he knows what she's trying to do. She's trying to throw herself at you. Like she's like, she, she's using, she's been in a fucked up world and a fucked up mindset for a while. Like she doesn't have an coping. effective appropriate adult coping mechanism, certainly, but also like just an understanding about like sex and, and like how it, intersects with just normal relationships probably it sounds like she's been in like this fucked up underworld you know like yeah it's just not it's just not a great it doesn't do harry very much credit i don't think and i was pretty defensive over murphy and charity attacking him about the hotel room i felt so like i I don't think this is over an overreaction just because i think this this type of behavior is what an understanding of the situation is what molly and charity projected onto him in the hotel room like this yeah, right here is why Charity punched him, right? I see it a little differently. Okay, well, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it in a minute here. Let's let's finish the the breakdown because I do want to hear your thoughts on it for sure. I'm sorry, I definitely like. I just want you to uh, be able to get to bed. Um, I just want to put it in the in the whole context. So let me uh, just 
through he, they end up you know he tells her it's never going to happen um he tells her she's not allowed to masturbate anymore and they get in the car and head back to her new house her new home and they pull up to the carpenters so this is her new digs you're moving back in you're going to do everything in your power to be the most respectful loving respectful considerate and respectful daughter in the whole wide world especially where your mom is concerned she's got to go back to high school uh, until she's finished i i died and this is hell uh if you can't control yourself well enough to finish a basic education and get along with a house full of people who love you then you sure as hell can't control yourself enough to use what i need to teach you i actually really love that line it's my one of my favorites of this whole chapter um as far as it's not like a quote of the week kind of thing but i love that thought yeah like, the reasonableness exactly but recognizing that like you have such a great situation here like this is going to be part of how we grow like he didn't have that even with ebenezer he didn't yeah. have like a loving home you know that's not to say ebenezer was bad or ebenezer didn't care yeah. for him or even that ebenezer didn't love him that's not what i'm saying no but, like the level of even if Ebenezer was this you know wonderful doting grandpa type figure, like it wasn't it, this. It's not right. I mean, it's not. It's very clearly a very different universe. And Ebenezer also isn't those things. <laughs> yeah, like Ebenezer was probably a very fine, you know, a fine soldier, you know, doing a good, a dutiful master, helping him learn. But like, it, and Harry, you know, used that to to improve. But this is going to be so much better for her. Yeah. Um, and she's going to have the support system she needs in every aspect of her life, which I think is really cool. And it's important. Though. And then they have the sex conversation where I do like how he tells her to stop masturbating. Mm -hmm. I mean, like the actual words he uses are funny, but I obviously yeah. don't love that he does. Well, Magellan, no base running or boldly going where no man has gone before. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny. But the, fact, the fact that he's telling her that is not as funny, but I digress. He drops her off, and after he drops, uh, as he's on his way out, Charity, like, stares at him, glares at him. It's not a stare. She's, she's mad-dogging the fuck out of him. Yeah. And then decides, breaks down, and goes and hugs him, which I love. Uh, <laughs> that hug is so cute. And he grabs Mouse, a poor limping mouse still. Poor Mouse. Um, but I love that he has sauce on his. <laughs> he was hanging out with kiddos of course of course of course as they get back to harry's apartment there's a very interesting conversation about little chicago mm -hmm. and i cannot wait to hear your thoughts on that mm -hmm. um as we get into re analysis here in a moment but basically little chicago was fucked up there was a problem with the design and it basically there was like it was gonna blow a fuse and explode if he had if he had used it the night that he searched for black magic way back when when he did the whole ritual it would have exploded and killed him when molly the phone rang about a foot from his fucking face which is interesting yeah and, but it was fixed at some point before he used it on the tracking spell so like i said i'm, I'm interested to hear what your your thoughts are there and i um, have some harebrained ideas oh i mean i would think less of you if you didn't <laughs> <laughs> murphy comes by and she returns the shotgun that Thomas was borrowing and says he's going to get his own toys. He didn't even clear it off. He, he didn't even clean it off, Harry said. I swear, Dresden, you can be such a pansy. It's because I'm a sensitive guy. You want to come in? 
Um, she can't come in because she has to go to the shrink. He has been demoted. She gets to, she lost SI. And I think uh, she did lose her seniority, but they're partnering up with the most experienced detective, which is Rollins. As Lissy hinted at, he got promoted to SI, which is like even more fucked up if you think about it, because if she's going to be partnering with the guy that's in charge of SI, she's still doing her job, but now she gets less pay, worse hours, and a lower rank. Yeah. Uh, they want her to quit. A hundred percent. But that's what she said, is that that's why people end up in SI, because they're trying to make them quit. Exactly, exactly. And Rollins, we've seen, is a bit of a troublemaker as well. So clearly, this is a, but he just did a great thing helping to solve this case. So they have so, to pretend to make, make, they have to pretend to make good. Yeah, so he gets a, a promotion and his own department. Yay! But he gets, you know, but it's SI and, and they're trying, they're still trying to run him off. And this kind of explains, remember earlier we'd asked, like, how did Murphy get this job so early, but also it's a bad job? This is the kind of thing why. They give you, they promote you to it to fuck you. Yep. And that's what happened here. When they have to promote you, but they want to fuck you, this is what they do. So it's cool to see that in real time. It answers yeah. our question we've, we've had for a couple of novels, right? Yeah. He ends up briefly discussing, you know, catching up with Thomas on the phone. Is it great? <laughs> I love Thomas so much. He, he and Carlos, I think, are my favorite characters. Uh, I love them both. Side characters that snark about how dumb, you know, just they just snarky side characters, right? But he says, what's up with Murphy? He told him about her job, but what's up with Murphy? There isn't anything up with her. She isn't interested. How do you know? She told me. She told you. She told me. And you believed her? Well, yes. I had a talk with her when she drove me home. A talk? A talk. I wanted to figure something out. Did you? Yeah, love it that you're both stiff-necked idiots. <laughs> Sorry, I just, I love that exchange because he knows more about them than themselves, basically. And he's talked to both of them and he thinks they're both dumb. So maybe that will they, won't they, isn't quite all the way out, but hopefully there's at least a long-ass pin in it. The next person that comes through is Ebenezer. And they, again, just kind of shoot the shit, break down what happened. And there's a, a, a one interesting back and forth that just I want to point out here. We can get through this real quickly, but like, where Harry says, I think we got played by the summer lady. I think Lily got suckered just as much as we did, which is interesting to me. We're at a point where now the summer queens, the, the uh, fairy queens are getting manipulated at a high level. This is getting grade real quick. And they don't really know what happened, but just that something's up. Yeah. Yeah. Hellfire. Afoot yeah. The strange, strange things are certainly afoot at that there yonder circle k and we get down and they, they start to realize or at least believe that there's a conspiracy of some sort somebody really high up is causing some problem it's mm -hmm. not just surface level vampires versus wizards yeah yeah and but we we kind of saw that though yeah we did but this is they just kind of start putting it into like they, they start putting put names on things Specifically yeah. where, where Harry refers to them as the Black Council. First time we've seen that term. I kind of like that. Yeah. Uh, now, why would you like it's a, a nice cable or cabal, whatever. Yeah, it's a great, exactly. But it also, the shoe fits better than Legion of Doom, which I like. Um, <laughs> I the, you know, he, he reminds of the loose end, the car that ran into Harry and spun him off the wall, the road, rather. We know that the person trailing him was Mike, uh, Thomas at this point. 
but we don't, we definitely, obviously Thomas didn't spin him off the road. So that's still no. something to think about. I actually have notes on that. And then, oh good. And then they talk about the traitor to the council because someone had to tell the Reds mm-hmm. where Lucio's boot camp was hidden. And outside of Lucio, that one too. only four people knew. Morgan, that's one. Injun Joe, the Merlin, and Ancient Ma were the others. Heavy hitters, but knock Morgan off your list. He didn't do it. No? Agreed. Guy's a dick, but he's on the level. We, should, we shouldn't tell him, but he is no traitor. <laughs> well, then I'll vote for Injun Joe. So what comes next? Watching them, waiting, not letting them, letting all that we know. We won't get more than one chance to take them off guard. When we do move, gotta make it hurt. We wait, lie in the weeds, keep a low profile. Got it, Hoss, what you did for that girl. Yeah, stupid. Merlin's gonna be pissed. True. What I meant to say that what you did was damn brave. Wouldn't have lasted long. Nope. But then, that wasn't the point. Proud of you, boy. It was a great back and forth. Even in their conflict, I still love Ebenezer. Yeah, and when he says, you know, you always told me you weren't at my trial, that the council saddled you with me because you skipped it. I think that isn't true. It was all in Latin, which I didn't understand. And I had that hood over my head, so I couldn't see. But someone had to have defended me the way I did Molly. Could be. Getting old, Hoss. I forget things. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, you know, I've missed a meal or three lately. And I know this little joint that's got the best spaghetti in town. Ebenezer froze in place. Like a man walking on ice who suddenly hears cracks. Oh, they've got this great bread that goes with it, too. It's right by the campus, so cute waitresses. (laughs) Sounds promising. Makes me feel a mite hungry hearing about it. Absolutely. Let me get my shoes. If we hurry, we can get there before the evening rush. We looked at each other for a long moment, and my teacher bowed his head to me. It conveyed a lot of things. Apology, gratitude, happiness, forgiveness, affection, pride. You want me to drive us? He asked. I bowed my head in reply. I'd like that, sir. Such as it is. Okay, get into analysis here. You know, we kind of had a lot of the main conflict wrapped up before last week. As I kind of mentioned, it was kind of a strange way to leave it because the main like I said, the main conflict that was moving the novel ended and we had this kind of like capstone, right, of her trial with the White Council. But what'd you think overall? Thoughts, ideas? Of this section or the whole book? Yes. Pick one. <laughs> um, I I liked how everything kind of tied up here at the end. I do appreciate uh contained novel. resolution of sorts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is great. And that helps um, you know, things being resolved for sure. All right, all right. Well, let's go through chapter forty-three. He um, the phone call to the White Council. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts there? Do you like kind of how he led the per- the warden who answered the phone? But I also really, and you know, because that was just kind of Harry being Harry. But I really appreciate how Fort Hill kind of put Harry at ease regarding boyfriend Nelson. That you know the boy won't be left alone. That he might not know where to begin. But that Father Fort Hill does. Yeah. That's just one less thing for Harry to worry about. And I appreciate that immensely. Yeah. And he tells Harry he's not doing it for Harry, but still, like, is a huge weight off of Harry for sure. But telling Harry is for mm-hmm. Harry, you know, for sure. Absolutely. Um, but it also kind of just tells us a lot about their relationship that Fort Hill is aware of how Harry thinks and what Harry's concerns would be. Yeah. And we've seen that a little bit throughout this novel that Fort Hill really does know Harry better than most people we've seen. So- yeah. I think. Part of it, too, might be because Fort Hill is exposed 
to what Harry deals with, at least on the outskirts of it. He knows about it. And even in the when they were in the the church before they went on their merry adventure. Yes. Where Harry said he didn't want to talk to a priest about it. And so Fort Hill switched tacks and was like, how about a bartender? It's just knowing Harry, knowing about Harry's issues with religion and just kind of his true self of wanting to save the world. Mm -hmm. I really did appreciate that. It's a great Fort Hill and Harry interaction. Yeah, we we talk all the time. This is the good stuff. We we get lots of cool magical stuff, but like the the one-on-one character growth, like that's, that's what I keep coming back to this series for, for sure. Let's see. What was that next chapter where we head out to the conclave and he meets up with Lois on the outside and he, you know, they put shroud over her head. Carlos tells Harry, who's not really moved. Harry's not worried about learning that Mm -hmm. all the votes for the white council are going to be held with the Merlin. Um, So clearly we, we we know he's got something, some sort of ace in the hole there. We hope. Which he always um, does. But he also says you always have to have a second plan, second plan, a backup plan. That's just Harry, you know, and Carlos doesn't seem exceptionally surprised by that. But again, this is another example, a perfect example of how Butcher uses their dialogue and their interaction as mm-hmm. how much they know each other and the advancement of their relationship since Halloween. <laughs> Too love when Harry, when uh, Carlos says, you just had to have me on security. <laughs> it's like he knows. He knows, he knows shit's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it's at this point, maybe initially... You know, it was based off of Harry's reputation, but now it sounds like Carlos knows because he's probably witnessed it at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, chapter 45 was the trial itself. I already mentioned earlier that I think Harry is very, very naive the way that he approaches this kind of poking and antagonizing the Merlin right up front. Do you have any thoughts on that chapter? It's an intentional naivete. I think that it's. Harry hopes that people see the world like he sees it. I think it's an optimistic naivete, if that makes sense, that he believes in the good that Molly could bring and that Molly is. And he thinks others should see it as well. I mean, hell, he convinced Morgan to see it, that Molly had potential, but Morgan is a company man. But I mean, I think that's a, that's, that, it, that it's not necessarily a naivete in the way that he just doesn't know how the world works. It's a naivete in that he's optimistic. He okay. just wants, you know, he sees her potential. He sees that good can come out of things that, it, and nothing is black and white, that he wants, he's, he explains the gray in the situation. And he's yeah. convinced, he convinces everybody else in the room. Sure, except for the one person he needed to convince them. Yeah. Right? Like, that's just, I don't know. We see, like, he can, just because you can manipulate the, the Merlin, doesn't mean you should, I think is kind of the lesson here. But I wonder how he could have manipulated the Mer- Merlin to be on his side in this way. I don't think if he would have kissed his ass, anything would have been, would have been any different, you know? Maybe. I don't know. He seems to think he could have done it better. Maybe. I mean, I just, I just feel like the Merlin is not someone that you can convince to do anything. Mm-hmm. He's just a black-hearted asshole. <laughs> Um, absolutely. Absolutely. What did you think of the, uh, the gatekeeper in this interaction? I'm not surprised. I, it didn't surprise me in any way, shape or form because he very much did that when Harry was, they were determining if Harry was a a full-fledged wizard. He's like, I have to think about this. 
Mm-hmm. I need a moment. The other thing, let me pull my notes up. The how do you find this. with deliberation or whatever? I liked a lot. Um, but I put that the gatekeeper, Bob discussed the temporal manipulation that the gatekeeper is involved in. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, we talked about that earlier. And I think that this is a perfect example of that because the gatekeeper knew they were coming. I like my phrasing better that he plays fast and loose with the sixth. A hundred percent does. That's the overall arching uh, theme here. Oh, goodness gracious. But I definitely appreciate it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time back when I was breaking down the chapter here going through in chapter 48, sorry, 47 rather, about Harry. Like I, said, I, I felt that this was what he, what Charity punished Harry for earlier in the novel. This kind of leading her on, putting this girl in a different, you know, just not sure. being the adult in the room. You said you had different thoughts a moment ago. What, what do you think? What do you think about this scene between this interaction between Harry and Molly? First, first off, I think she wouldn't have listened if he wouldn't have said no. I think that she has seen in the real world, the hard part of the real world, that manipulation works. And I think she would have done it again. And I believe that this was a so reason. You, you think Harry did the right thing here? I think mm-hmm. he would let it. He let her almost embarrass herself mm-hmm. because she needed to. Okay. He needed to draw that line in the sand with a fucking cement wall or a jug of ice cold water as the case exactly (laughs) but it was also i think it's also kind of very symbolic like the ice cold water and his preparation with it was just very symbolic that completely submerging this possibility that this could ever happen and i think it, it was both a literary tool as well as in you know the quote real world it was an a functional way to deal with her behavior because okay. because she sees it's we must begin as we sh- as we shall go on sort of situation. You can't manipulate your way into or out of things, Molly. This isn't going to happen. This is how it's going to be. I'm the boss. You're going to listen to me. And it's going to be uncomfortable. In some parts, it's going to be uncomfortable. It certainly was that. Exactly. And I think that was just kind of a combination of both him laying it out, but also a literary tool of kind of putting a kibosh on that and reminding us that Harry's time as an apprentice was uncomfortable and Molly's will be as well. Fair enough. He also further references her various piercings. Yeah. Oh, the other, there was another thing about chapter 40. Oh, okay. Five. I had a question. About. Okay. The Oak Leafs. Uh-huh. They both accepted a gift from a fa- Oh, the first time I was going through it, I was like, oh, God, Morgan just accepted a gift from a fairy. It's a gift from a fairy. Yes, it's an honor, but it's also a gift from a fairy. Yeah, no, that's very, very interesting. And we know how Harry plays fast and loose with the fairy laws. But Morgan, Morgan is a rule follower. Morgan is a square. And he accepted a gift from a fairy. Okay, okay, that's funny. I just, that was just a very significant observation and it makes me wonder if that's going to be a downfall for morgan at some point and harry oh wait yeah, please harry's taking gifts from fairies he's made deals with fairy <laughs> harry harry just again like you said he plays fast and loose all right all right i dig i dig i dig i dig that's a good catch for sure mm-hmm. 
And we mentioned it as we were going through about how there's something about Michael and Harry in cars where it's a confessional for both of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was and great. I love that. Um, I really do like the beginnings of a reconciliation with Ebenezer as well. I mm -hmm. think that it was both an olive branch on Harry's part, but I think it's also something Harry's realized he's going to need Ebenezer in his life. He's, he's going to need, he needs allies. Yes. But strictly in his life, he's a, he is a mentor now. Mm -hmm. And Ebenezer was oh, yeah. his. No, that's, that's an angle that I, I didn't think about. Yeah, no, like just from mentoring advice and stuff. Yeah, yeah, okay. Exactly. And Molly is a very strong-willed person, much like Harry. And there may be many times when he's going to need to talk to Ebenezer and you know, remind himself, have Ebenezer remind him that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. You know, it's not going to be all butterflies and rainbows. We already know it's not going to be butterflies and rainbows with Molly. It And I'm sure it wasn't butterflies and rainbows with Harry. Mm -hmm. But yeah, those are the my big things I took from that last chapter. But the fairy gift, it was one of my like, holy shit moments. Yeah, no, that's a great catch. I didn't think about that at all. Um, I wonder how that will affect everyone moving forward. Um, I already kind of teased it that I wanted to get some thoughts on the driver. I actually, who, on my second or my, when I went through everything again, I made a note actually who hit him in the car. Okay. We still don't know. We don't. Um, so let's go back to the beginning and kind of start our overall analysis. Um, my, the the first, last, I just don't ahead. want to forget. I don't want to forget talking about who fixed the table as well. What table? Little Chicago. Oh, yes. Um, do we so want to see that for my, my yeah. theories at the end? Perfect. Perfect. I just don't, I just don't want, I don't want to, for, don't want to miss out on that. I'm going to, I'll write that down on my note card. Perfect. I just wrote it in my, an extra time in mine as well. Sweet. Okay. Okay. Start at the very beginning. A very good place to start. My first note I wrote down. Um, was there were throughout the novel there are multiple references to harry's inability to do a veil well and yeah. i thought that was interesting because he you know there we constantly learn about how strong of a wizard he is but that is one skill he does not excel in mm -hmm. we see two very good versions of it yes um, and i love that actually uh, dragon fett had a really great um comment on this when they go into the movie theater at the tail end right with lily and fix uh -huh. And he turns he turns around and he doesn't see everyone anyone there. They've all disappeared under the veil. Yeah, he has he has the salve under his eyes. Oh, he that's right. See, he should be able to see through fairy glamour at that point. Now, is um, it fairy glamour? Or is it magic though? That's the other thing. Well, apparently, it, maybe there maybe there is a distinction there, um, a distinction with difference. Yeah. Um, but that definitely is another one of those where he sent that to me. And it's like, oh, interesting. That is really so, interesting. Um, you know, things that most people probably pick up on. Yeah. Like we have the most feedback we've gotten on any one, one question has been uh, last week's, how about a little fire scarecrow? And neither of us had any idea. And it's Whoa. from Wizard of Oz. <laughs> we just, <laughs> so, it. It, but we got several uh, notes about that. And I love that. I think it's wonderful. I totally appreciate it. 
every single listener reached out and said, you guys are stupid. It's how do you get the dumbest references, but not this one, you bozos, I think was how Seriously. most of them were worded. I know, for real. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. But no, so, so, so true. You guys for that one. We appreciate them. So one of the other kind of um, uh, foreshadowing that I really liked going through the book again after having read it, the, um, the full book. Um, so after he read the gatekeeper's letter, he mentioned to Ebenezer that it's either a black headed bad guy, basically, or a kid like the one they had just executed. And it's kind of like he he has a, he has a really good understanding of what's going on. This is like this is what Harry knows. And he also said that he didn't think he could handle a kid doing black magic. And he's going to have to handle a kid who did black magic. Mm-hmm. I love the bookends in the novel. Uh, it really yeah, worked out really well. That was a big one. Um, there's. The other thing that um, I thought was really interesting was the kind of the um, the dichotomy of the lies that Ebenezer told Harry and the truths Harry told Molly. Ebenezer kept a lot from Harry, we have learned, but Harry just tells Molly. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, it's, I took a couple things from that. One, it might be the kind of teacher he is. Uh, and okay. two, it might be an effect of the lies that Ebenezer told him. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Like this is how uh, he, this is how he deals with that. Like he's not, he's not going to make the same mistakes, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind okay. of like he it, the mistakes of our fathers, um, sort of idea there. Uh, so that was a big one that I was like, oh, and that's just a relationship thing. It's not even necessarily a magic thing. Um, and another, another, well, I, mean, I think, well, I, I think that by far, by far, what Ebenezer taught Harry is the relationship stuff, right? Like Justin taught him magic and that was a broken creature. Yeah. Yeah. Ebenezer kind of taught him how to be a good man. Yeah. Oh yeah. How to be a man. Yeah. And and that's why it was so hard. Like if he had found out that Justin was the black staff, like, okay, <laughs> yeah, that kind of makes sense. You know what I mean? That's why it was what so if- hard is because everything that Ebenezer taught him has nothing to do with magic. I mean, no. I, like <laughs> nothing. Like that wasn't, magic was only even, you know, tangent tangential to what they were working on and and that's why it was such a huge betrayal and so that's why he wants he wants to make sure he doesn't betray molly like that and he may be risking more by doing that right it may be there's a reason why you know ebenezer did that but he doesn't want he's not interested in that he doesn't want to risk that i just i I like i like that comparison that you bring up i mean that's (laughs) on a personal level that's how i coach water polo (laughs) (laughs) i think that's awesome um, one of the other overarching themes that I noticed in this novel is the conversations and mentions of temperature, hot and cold. At the beginning of the novel, Harry talks about how hot Chicago is right now and the not- the noticeable differences in the cold and in the, uh, in the lobby of the hotel with the first attack. Um, but he, so this is super, super cheesy. Heat destroyed his hand. But he had to defeat the cold to save Molly. Okay. Couldn't okay. let something like that destroy him. But he also, with harnessing the hellfire, what destroyed his hand, he has had to handle. He's had to harness. I just think that's an interesting kind of... It's a, it's a personal growth. Yeah, it really is. 
Um, that and also, you know, his power with heat much very much aligns him with the summer core. He doesn't do magic mm-hmm. in cold. He never has. None of his magic brings cold. There's always some level of heat or wind, but it's never cold. Yeah. Even when they're on the on the parapet, he uses heat against cold. I bet Ventus Servitas is pretty chilly sometimes in Chicago. Maybe in the winter, but he's not creating the cold. <laughs> I know. I, I know. I'm being stupid. I don't know if you could have gathered that. How do you can guess your brother, your baby brother being stupid once in a while? Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I, some of this is a hundred percent my overthinking, <laughs> which is great. Yeah. I mean, we see he, he almost uses when he, he almost uses the table. I like that that comes back up again. It was seems fortuitous then that the phone call happened, right? Yeah. Well, and that actually, I, I have that as a note. Yeah. With the Molly situation, it's almost like the universe saved him, but the universe also wanted to force him to deal with Michael. Circumstance in the universe, like that phone call saved him. Yeah. But him having to deal with Molly that saved him made him have to deal with Michael and have to come to terms with what he's been feeling and how he's been avoiding Michael and the thing that he's dealing with. And that kind of all led up to that conversation in the last chapter. Yeah. So like you're really buying into this cosmic coincidence it all I very much feel like things like it's I always you know I always say you know when I'm working I always say you know I hope that that's got smile on you uh and don't put that out into the universe do not put that out into the universe <laughs> I say Fair that enough. phrase very frequently I feel like it's not necessarily preordained but it's almost like something mischievous out there is is keeping an eye on Harry but we know something mischievous does that as yeah. far as Lenache. <laughs> Yes, yeah. But it's just an, I just thought that was really interesting that, like, it, yeah, it's, it's obviously part of the story trope, uh, but it's the timing and things like that. It's a cool little, like, story element. Um, And the other thing about this is another Molly thing. When Molly called Harry to bail her out, do we think she was trying to use mind magic or was she just being manipulative? I think she was just being manipulative. But because of all the mind magic stuff came out when I was, when I was going back through that part, I was like, oh. Oh, interesting. I've never thought that she was trying to use magic on Harry, at least intentionally, just because just because of how much she wouldn't she knows what he's capable of, right? So like yeah. why why would she do that? That doesn't sound like a very clever thought, and she also tries to keep a secret. <laughs> she does either. But right, remember when at the, when she's running away and he grabs her and they get the wizard tingle. Yeah, which is the official term for that now, by the way, wizard tingle. <laughs> And she's surprised that he knows. So she's trying to keep it from him. Yeah. So I don't think she would intentionally try to use the magic on him. I didn't think she was using magic. I think it was just another one of her manipulations. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, because like the hotel room, like the end in his apartment, she's just manipulating him. Like she's a teenager, right? I mean, like that is as you're learning how to be a human being, you learn the weaknesses of human beings and you learn how to manipulate people a little bit better. And like, that's, I I don't think that's a super cynical way of looking at the world. I think that's just something that, like you learn how the how the world works a little bit and you learn how to, you know, how to nudge people in the right direction. Maybe manipulates not the wrong right words, really the wrong word. She's also been basically living on the streets for the past year. Yeah. So she definitely has to have had an that, edge to her yeah, for sure. To learn that edge. That was my thought on that. And also, why did Molly Moss initially growl at Molly? Because she had been breaking the fourth law. She's a warlock at this point. And then point he realized that. Okay. 
Yeah. And that's kind of why I referenced that was like, you know, mouse only barks at bad guys, but he growled at my, oh, yeah, I know. Well, and the other thing too. So do we think that the, the black magic had taken place that it was still kind of on her and it had happened very recently? Oh, interesting. Just I mean, kind of I, like timing is that was, it was the timing was the question of that. And I actually had a thought on this when I was going through it, where maybe Nelson was actually still, you know, he said that he was struggling to poop, which is, you know, opioid thing. I was thinking maybe he was doing drugs in the bathroom. Oh, on my second read through. Cause you know, I said like, you know, it took some time for me to get out there, you know? So I don't know. You're right. How soon it had been. It had already happened. Yeah. We know that because the gatekeeper and he was the first one. So maybe he it doesn't make sense then. Um, but certainly it had to have been recently so that maybe it was still on her for sure. Or that the physical effects of the opiates were still in Nelson's body too. Cause that takes yeah, time. They certainly, they certainly were. Body. Yeah, for sure. That's what he was still so afraid. Yeah. Well, and that's the whole thing. Molly says that Nelson is in danger, the weird kind of danger, but she put him in that danger. Does she just not realize that? He doesn't realize that. At this point, she, I, I think she honestly thinks he believes something's after him. And so she thinks something's after him. I don't think yeah. she's put two and two together yet. Maybe she does at some point, but certainly not at that point. Yeah. Okay. So what else you got? Let's see. Okay. So when Bob is looking for fear, he tells Bob to look for fear. He specifically says, not the movie theater type fear, but terror. I love that foreshadowing that was just wrong. I love it when the, the foreshadowing is wrong because it's 100% wrong. These movie monsters are causing terror. And then Harry actually goes to explain that the, the, the fear of the movie monster is universal. He, he tells Murphy that. He talks about that with Murphy. So I thought that was very, very interesting yeah, and he also brings up the um quality versus quantity right especially in the uh movie theater at the towards the climax there when they're talking he's talking he really hammers at home that like a little bit of you know a little little jump scare for 100 million moviegoers is massive yeah compared to one really scary moment you know it's just how it adds up which yeah. we've seen we've seen in, in every in every aspect of the supernatural in this storyline, right? Like mm -hmm. the, uh, the oblivion war, the, the, what, you know, the power of different gods has waxed and waned over the time, over the years, you're more powerful when people talk about you. You're more powerful yeah. when people experience you or worship you, you or think about you or fear you. Right. And so I, I, I just love that consistency. Yeah. Out, even very, very different situations and very, very different beasties and very, very different lores have a similar understanding or execution all based in off of human nature mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because you know it's it's the idea that power can be frightening yeah i was having a, a, a fight with a it turned into a, a literal fight I, I was very confused i was using textual evidence and he like i, I wasn't confused it was because it, it was on a, a forum somewhere where uh the kid like was upset that i was like well i think i don't think the white God is more powerful than anything else. Naturally. I think the white God's more powerful because the white God's got a few billion people yeah. pouring, pouring energy into him every day. And like, there's even a quote from butcher that says, you know, if the white God wasn't the creator of the universe, he is now. Yeah. Which I thought <laughs> kind of nailed the door shut on this theory that yeah. like, it doesn't like, it's also like, I, I even wrote this out to him. Like in, in these words, it's like, dude, like, this isn't your white God. Like this is a character in a book. Like I'm not, I'm not disrespecting your beliefs here. I'm just reading yeah. 
into the text. <laughs> it was very like that's clearly why this dude got upset with me. Oh, is because saying that that Yahweh wasn't the most powerful being in the Dresden verse necessarily, and he clearly is right now. And I thought, I I thought that was again. I was I'm reading the like, text. Hey, charity, here. chill. Like, like my favorite, what my favorite characters is Father Fornhill here, man. Like, I'm not disrespecting your religion. I just, I'm trying to read the text. Yeah. But it was just like, okay, whatever, man. Agree to disagree. And then like, it was a very strange experience. Arguing like, I, I argued, you know, had conversations with and argued with religious people of various stripes for various reasons. But that one was strange because it's like, you realize we're talking about a fictional, even if your God exists, this is a fictional character in a book about wizards. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is not what we're like, this is not, I'm, I'm not attacking your, your soul here. Uh, well, it's, I, speaking of like the Bible and shit, mm-hmm. Daniel, did yes. Daniel fight the lions? Uh, he did. Daniel in the lion's den. That's what, uh, going through it the second time, how Daniel had to fight all the, all the movie monsters. It was Daniel in the lion's den. Okay. okay I don't know if okay. that was an intentional thing, but, uh, that was just a kind of thing. But the other thing regarding Darby Crane, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this is again jumping around with him. But so with Darby Crane, the Scarecrow is from Darby's movie. The Scarecrow is who is there when Darby is attacked as well. Okay. I just thought that was really, it took me a minute to realize that. I had to go through it again to figure that out. It's like well, it- your own creation is trying to destroy you. Well, and remember, it's not necessarily his creation because that that fetch looks, that's what the fetch looks like in the Never Never as well. So I wonder wh- what that intersection... If he, if he made a scarecrow off of something he knew about the Never Never? Yeah. You know, or... Interesting. It, I just, I, like that... Because remember, the, the scarecrow mentions to Harry... The you know the old eldest fetch or whatever mentions in the at Arctis tour that your magic will have no more effect on me as it did in the real world. So that was the same character. Yeah. No. 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 I know that. I knew that. But I yeah I didn't I I didn't think about that because I said you know the scarecrow shows up in the never never and that's the you know that that connection is interesting. Is Alicia a biblical name? I don't know. A noble or exalted. Noble or nobility. English variant of the name Alicia. It's not mentioned in the Bible. Popular name for Christian girls due to his meat. Yeah. Uh, okay. It's noble. There you Interesting. Go. I was just going down as you were talking about Daniel. I was trying to see other connections with yeah. the rest of the Carpenters, which is, you know, Margaret, Daniel, Matthew, Alicia, Hope, and Harry. Well, we know where Harry's name came from. We do. We do. But just trying to see the connections there. Oh, definitely. Okay. So I have another question. Please. Do we know whose power he sensed in the hotel attack? And now we know the air is cold because those powers came from winter. But he sensed that the familiarity of the power. Was it just because it was winter and, you know, somehow Mab's power? I'm not ignoring. I'm thinking. I, I don't know. You know, that's when they're looking at the uh, aftermath, right? When does he mention that? When he when he it first began. Oh, OK. Interesting. You know, even after the fact, seeing all these characters, he's never really experience any of their magic firsthand yeah so it must be just a connection to winter i guess you're right okay another thing that i loved mm-hmm. which was so lashiel tells him that time truth and love are all illusions time 
truth, and love are all strong themes in this novel and in this series. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I just think that's fantastic. But then can you know, because then Michael tells us Last Shield lies. And it's just another example of that. Is it? I refuse to ha- to sit here for this slander upon her good name. <laughs> her good name. <laughs> Poor Lashiel. Uh, Lashiel's so misunderstood. Yeah. So another thing that I, um, in Harry's, when he looks at Rosie with the sight, Murphy's visage in the, in that sight, how Harry describes it, makes me think of how she, when she went to battle in the Never Never, except she had a gun at it, of course. But she is this just, she's a little dirty from the battle, but she's just this tough, sword-wielding beast of remember, an angel almost. Remember we've seen her before yeah, in the site as well. Yes. And it was the and same, same. Similar, look. similar energy. Yeah, for sure. But I just love that it's the way he describes her when she's fighting in the Never Never is very similar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in that image, her gun is her sword. So I think that's really interesting. Yeah, no, I do like that. Reminds me of, remember the Boz Lerman, Romeo plus Juliet? Uh-huh. Where just all their, your dagger, your sword, your weapon, they're all, they're all guns, but they have that, like... Imprinted on them? Yeah. Just yeah kind I of, love that. I thought that was actually a really cool element of that film. Yeah, I mean, as he tends to do. Yeah. Visu- visually stunning. Yeah. And chock full of pretty people. But um, I thought that was a cool angle, definitely. Yeah, definitely. The other thing, again, having to do with his sight, <laughs> the mitts around Rosie's hand where she can't scratch the little tiny mouths. She can't scratch the itch. And the sparkles. Do we think Molly's spell protected her from being maimed further in the attack from the fetch? Oh, interesting. Like as because a side neither, effect. Yeah, because she, neither she nor Nelson got further maimed in the fetch attack. Well, like, I don't... I don't think Mel- Nelson was present for any of the attacks. Okay. Well, he was um, He was in the room when Pell got attacked, but you're right. He was never attacked. But it's almost like all of the markings on Rosie were from, were from Molly. Molly. Yeah, interesting. So, like, this brain's already, like, seat's taken. Move along, bad guy. Exactly. <laughs> That's kind of funny. Because she did do the spell to protect her. Yeah. That was, it was, you know, in its own way, it was a protection spell. A protection spell, spell yeah. So yeah, maybe that did. That's that's a good catch. I like that a lot. Oh damn, Lizzie. But I also like how Murphy figured it out before anybody. She said that what happened to Rosie didn't happen to Pell or the other girl. Mm-hmm. 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 My detective. I love Eric. So I thought that was really interesting. Oh, the other thing. Do we think Malthus, Mouse is an empath? <laughs> or is it no, just a good boy? I think he's I, just a little bit of both. Aren't those the same things? <laughs> I just, that was just literally a, a note I made while I was uh, going through it again. Hmm. Animals are weird, man. Like cats. I love cats. They're, they're assholes. Like cats in general. They're, they're nice cats do exist. I've heard tale of them. Never seen any true evidence of it, but I've heard tale. Well, but it's that um, old, it's a, the adage that um, dogs are like toddlers. It's very easy to make them happy. Cats are like teenagers. <laughs> I like that. But when you're like, in a bad moment, your cat will like come pick you up. Yeah. In ways that like you didn't think was possible. So I like, there really is some empathetic thing there. I like that toddler versus teenager. Teenager thing is uh-huh. great. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I saw that and I was like, oh my God, that's so true. <laughs> I thought he just phrased it as like, 
when you go scratch a dog behind their ear, they just think, oh my God, you're so awesome. And you go scratch a cat behind the ear, they think, oh my God, I'm so awesome. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> Similar energy. And I think they're actually both the same thing. Uh, uh, let's see. Oh, and I a little, a little interesting just observation, I guess, is that Maeve's appearance is very similar to Molly's. Yes. Including her hair color. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Which when I was, you know, my whole uh, Molly having a connection to fairy, I was like, ooh. Yeah, I wonder, like, if there's something to, like, Maeve being, like, an un- right? Because she's got this, like, sexual deviancy thing. She's got this attitude. If Maeve isn't the version of Molly we saw in the Soul Gaze, or like just an unchecked version of her, left to her own yeah. devices kind of thing, you know? Yeah. But yeah, no, that was definitely like it's intentional. Like it can't not be intentional, right? Right. That exactly. Point, you're supposed to pick something up by it, but what? What's what? What, what are we trying it? to pick up? <laughs> and, and and we also that was framed within a scene where everything is suspect, right? Yes. That's the scene at Max. Every single thing is suspect. And that is the, that is the look that she put on mm -hmm. for this meeting. In the, yeah. So it's very, very sus indeed. Yeah, definitely. The other thing is, you know, the power of fear was a big element in this whole novel. Of course. And one of the notes I put is that Crane tried to instill fear in Harry when he said they were in public and that he couldn't move on him. But Harry wasn't afraid. The fear didn't impact him. It only, the attempt to cause fear only gave him insight into what Crane was. And that we see that a lot with and Harry. Does. Where people trying to make Harry afraid yeah. piss, pisses him off, basically. He doesn't like yeah. this. No, he does not. So this is another Murphy. So Murphy is a cop. Harry said that because of her failed marriages, she wants to make it work and will do anything to make it work. Mm -hmm. But she puts it all on the line to save Ma Molly. She doesn't necessarily know she's putting it all on the line, but there's that potential. Yeah, I was just going to say that. She doesn't know what she's risking, but she definitely doesn't it's hesitate risk to risk it. Exactly. And it's much like Harry. Harry has a little more knowledge of what he's risking, but she'll still risk it all. And it just kind of adds to her what Harry sees in his sight, kind of, I think, you know? Yeah. An avenging angel sort of situation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there's, we always talk about faith magic and how there's, like, in this, I said, there are so many references to God and his reasoning and so much faith conversation. It's yeah, kind of I mean, like, a lot of that goes on in and around the Carpenter family. Oh, yeah. And the church. So it makes sense. I just don't want it to be canon that Lashiel is not, is necessarily a bad guy. I just want to be clear here. There's we've seen very little evidence. <laughs> very, little, very little evidence that Lashiel is not a good guy. Sorry, Jim. <laughs> going after my girl here. You kill me. Yeah, a lot of faith magic. I apologize for putting you off there. Yeah, a lot of faith magic, and I, I, it, you know, it's just that different levels of power within that faith magic that we yeah. see. And Harry uses so much faith. He does. Well, he uses Michael's faith, as he said. Yeah. Oh, he plays the My probability. Prostate. Those conversations between Fort Hill and Harry and then Harry and Michael, where they're just basically trying to see, like, basically, if if there's a, if the white gods run in the show here, why is he putting the different pieces in these different situations is interesting. And it's what you're saying. It's, it's a faith conversation, but it's basically like a, you're, they're starting from the end point of obviously the plan was to make this work out and then yeah. trying to work, trying to work backwards, which isn't a great way to solve problems or you know, solve uh, riddles. But yeah, I just, 
some of those conversations were very interesting and it's the deepest we've ever seen Harry go down this line. Even if he doesn't fully necessarily buy into it, he stayed a lot further out from the faith questions before this. This is the deepest we've seen him get into that conversation, right? Yeah. I, think um, so. I have no, no analysis there. Just a, a note, a note that like, it is interesting that he's never had these conversations before. And then he kind of plays it off as, that he wasn't using faith. He was using Michael's faith towards the end, but definitely yeah. again, just some progression or difference at least from what we've seen from Harry in the past, for sure. The fight with Darby was great. It's good to see bad guys get their comeuppance. Yes. Always. Always. Oh, you build softy for that. And then we covered the kind of the, the climax there. Do you have anything else to note to touch on before we um, finish out this section That's in this all novel? I have in my notes. What did you think about Arctis Tor? That's a very broad question, but I'm, I'm going to yeah. leave it at that and, and try to see what you, you I have think any thoughts. I thought it was very appropriate. It wasn't a, there was no, nothing too surprising in its kind of uh, way it looks. Small. It's what? It seems small to me. Like in size. Like they get from the gates to the, to the roof in a quick do si do. And clearly that roof is a well guarded, important part, mm-hmm. you know, this, this inner prison. I don't know. It seemed like the scale of it was off to me. And interesting. You know, I, I've thought that, you know, some listeners will probably give me shit for that thought, but like I, the scale just seems off to me. Okay. And that's something I've felt since I've read it, that it like, it's just a quick hop, skip and a jump from the gate to this important prison and this important wellspring. Or I guess what it, it, the question that's begged here is, which isn't actually begging the question, but in common parlance, the question is begged. How fucking massive was this defense force because it's a small distance it must therefore be a very strong and well-stocked defense right we saw saw the pile of the bones we know hellfire was involved in melting those bones yeah just a lot more questions than answers certainly at arctis tour um it's kind of in my mind hopefully we find out something about that soon ever at some point uh (laughs) (laughs) but beyond that I'm sorry, do you have anything else there to add or you want to close this close the book on this group this chunk? Good. Yeah, I mean definitely a, I'm, uh, oh wait, do you want me to talk about who I think fixed little Chicago? Not if that's your crackpot theory of the week. I don't know how crackpot it is. Okay. Well then yeah, give us that. I think Thomas did it. Okay. Because somebody had to know it was there mm-hmm. and had to have some level of ability to see things. And Thomas can see things. Right. Yeah. Any ideas who's in the car? No. Okay. No, not at all. Unless it's like Marcone or something. When would when would Thomas have done that? If he's following Harry around. I don't know. Uh-uh. I like it. But he okay. knows where Harry is. If he's following Harry around, he knows where Harry is. Which is definitely not important. at home. 100%. 100%. Unless it's Mouse. It was probably Mouse. <laughs> yikes. What's up? Do you got anything on the yikes front for this week? Um, I do not. Okay. I do. I mean, I, I didn't like, I, I thought the way that he interacted with yeah. Molly in that last chapter was pretty yikesy and unnecessary. Um, you, you, you did give a pretty solid defense of it. And I appreciate that. I just, I feel like there's a middle ground where he could have not had her get naked on the ground. And yeah. I just don't think it's usually the right step to get a 17 year old naked on her knees in front of you. Um, Generally speaking. Yes. L- Lucy disagrees, but that's okay. <laughs> just kidding. Right. Just, 
there, there's you're right that she needed some some rebuke like strong enough rebuke yeah i'm just not sure that was really it personally like i said i i think that fits into the yikes section beyond that what um you got a couple quotes for us i do mm-hmm. okay okay most of these are happy nice warm feelings Aw, um, i like happy warm nice feelings you may not know where to begin to help i do don't worry dresden the boy won't be left alone Harry Dresden, I'm on a mission from God. <laughs> God, I said, I hope not. I've got bigger, I've got problems enough without working up to bigger ones. Well, crap, he said and scowled at me. Going to turn this into some kind of fight? Lows, I chided him. Would you, would I do that? He gave me a steady look and then said, you just had to ask me to handle security. <laughs> Love Carlos so much. Blood might not stain a warden's cloak. But it's all but impossible to get it out of an old, porous concrete floor. I love that because of the callback. I already mentioned oh, 100%. it. Oh, 100%. It's just so good, yeah. And choke on that jerk, I thought. Let's see you snub an ally who just bailed out the council out of ass-deep alligators. <laughs> I beg your pardon, Merlin. But when it comes to the council sitting in self-righteous, arrogant judgment over a young wizard who made an honest mistake, I believe I have more experience than anyone in this room mm-hmm. this is from 47 i'd save the girl from the bad guys and more importantly from the good guys that's a good one and i because that's on my list i'm going to read the second half which mm-hmm. seems the sort of thing that should pay my warden salary over time but for the moment <laughs> i'm simply glad it's over and demons michael said quite a few of them actually what kind oh fangs tentacles you know the usual every time i read that and i've read it Many times this last week, that word is testicles, <laughs> which tells you the maturity level that you're dealing with here. My supervisor declined a report, and in the de- declination, she wrote, what about the hospital testes? <laughs> I giggled so hard. My coworker was like, what are you laughing at? And I showed her, and she giggled so hard. <laughs> We're very mature go. over at the coroner's office. If I do not mistake your meaning... You just told me that you took a leap of faith. No, I took your leap of faith by proxy. Let's see. That's that's 116. You can be done. One more. One more. Uh Uh-huh. Heavy hitters, but knock Morgan off your list. He couldn't. He didn't do it. Ebenezer arched his brows. No? I shook my head. Guy's a dick, I said. He's on the level. Shouldn't tell him, but he's no traitor. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that shouldn't tell him part. I still Uh want you to steal steal any more of mine, because you already took Uh, one of my three. Sorry. Um, so I again thinking of the maturity level with Lily's help, we've given the vampires a stiff kick in the balls, but the fight was far from over. And then this is what I like just because it's absurd. But why do I get the feeling that Titania handing me a medal can't possibly be as simple as it looks? <laughs> because you can tell a hawk from a handsaw when the wind is southerly, which I love that. It doesn't mean anything to me. Uh, but but it offers you some benefit today. Surely you didn't ex- actually expect a summer queen to simply do as you bid her and no more. I do like that start to finish because the first part could be the line alone. And then she says some gibberish. You can tell a hawk from a handsaw. Mm-hmm. I think it's just because you're not an idiot is the yeah. point there. Because you're not entirely stupid, but it gives you benefit. And then also the the subtle rebuke there of, don't fucking tell me what to do ever again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
<laughs> yeah. It's just maybe she didn't mean it quite that forcefully, but I, that's kind of what I read out of that one. So, um, and then the the uh, saving the girl from the good guys, which is all good. So I love if it. You have, if you have another one you want to add on there before I, you're more than welcome. I'm good. Oh goodness gracious! With that, we actually have two things left to do here. Um, you want to read the first paragraph or so of White Knight? I'm looking at trying to find it. Okay, okay, and then okay, tell us what you think. White Knight, though, uh, as to what I think it's about, it's got to be about our White Knight, What's Michael. That? Okay. I can't find it in Libby. Well, white means a lot of things in this uh, yes. story. It's also not, it's also spelled differently. Oh, that's why I can't find it. Mm-hmm. Just kidding. <laughs> trying to find it so I can. Really, there are like two or three novels where this is going to pay off, this idea of reading the first couple paragraphs. Mm-hmm. where it's going to pay off with such a like just so wonderfully that it's worth doing it for every novel <laughs> <laughs> of course we've already seen one of them where the building was on fire and it wasn't my fault and that was useful yes. um, many things are not as they seem the worst things in life never are i pulled my battle scarred multicolored old volkswagen beetle up in front of a rundown chicago apartment building not five blocks from my own rented basement apartment Usually, by the time the cops call me, things are pretty frantic. There's at least one corpse, several cars, a lot of flashing blue lights, yellow and black tape, and members of the press. Or at least the promise of the imminent arrival of the same. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be another procedural. (laughs) Yeah, certainly. More cop action here. Um, Do do you have the uh, picture of the The cover? cover? Let me go to there. Usually there's one, there's a couple different versions. Yeah. The one I usually get. So it's uh, Harry's wearing the hat and the amulet, carrying his staff. Mm-hmm. We n- never hear about the hat. Steam is coming out of a what's it called manhole cover, and there's he's just walking down the, a street in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's not a whole lot. Not a whole lot on this one. Like I said, I think it's going to be another murder mystery. Yeah, White Knight. I thought White Knight because of a. Uh... Well, it's because you're bad at counting letters. Remember, both am, words are the same. Both words have the same number of letters. But I think maybe it's going to snow. I don't know. That's a hard one. Okay. Okay. So there's also um, kind of a numbering convention that isn't really as accurate where they have, you kind of have like um, Warlock always book two where like every third book is vampires or something like that. Um, (laughs) But that's not always the case either because they're in a war with vampires but really, it's just the fifth books are Denarians, and every novel has a uh, kind of a double entendre title. So we don't really have a whole lot to go on there. And, and like I said, this reading the first couple paragraphs doesn't do doesn't give you a whole lot of information for most of them. But yeah. for the ones the ones that it does, you'll understand exactly what I mean, and yeah. it will be it'll be worth having read. <laughs> a whole lot to go on right there but we didn't need a whole lot to go on we had plenty to build a crackpot theory of the week already so what do you got for us well first off molly i was right about molly having some kind of magic (laughs) ding ding so this actually comes from everybody's favorite non-dog dog thomas agrees with me darby agrees with me okay and then he's got magic feet like come on (laughs) okay like 
He's got magic feet. They glowed. Saint Elmo's fire. You know all that stuff on his locks. At this point, at this point, we almost have too much textual textual evidence for it to be crackpotty anymore. I know. It's like, come on, butcher, stop taking away my crackpot theories. Well, you could also uh, make a new one. <laughs> I no, no, no. You are. Uh, I I still just I mean I love Mouse. I think Mouse is wonderful. Who doesn't? And so everything is all about Mouse <laughs> or Mister. As well, it should be. But like, I want. It's almost like he's related to the animated stone dog that they use as the wizard metal detector. Well, remember where we got? Do you, do you recall where we got Mouse in the first place? From the monk guy. Yeah, who was trying to? You know, they were kidnapped because. Yeah. Dog why would why would you use a flaming monkey poo demon to kidnap regular dogs? Right. That doesn't exactly. make very much sense either. Agreed. But it is cool to see. The progression as Mouse kind of slowly feels comfortable enough to show some of those powers. Yeah. Or he's coming into it. Yeah, exactly. Just like a wizard as wizards get older and more capable. Yeah. Because if you think about how like dogs age, he's mm-hmm. about that point where he is a teenager. Yeah. Well then you know, they say it's it's seven years is a dog year or whatever, but like that's not that's not really true. Dogs mature yeah. at a different rate. And you know, as far as like how long their lives last is pretty similar, but their maturity isn't. No, it's not like they're fully mature in the, those two years. It does take some time. So that's very interesting. Good call. Good call. I think that just about closes the door on closes the book, as they say, on proven guilty. Mm-hmm. And what a wild, strange journey it's been. So much fun. Appreciate you guys sticking with us. This was definitely the longest chronological time. It's taken us to get through a novel because yes. we did take, we took some short story breaks. We took a week off for the holidays, but we are back at it here, just creeping up on our one year anniversary. So uh, the plan is to get back to the one chunk a week. We may play around with going down to four or five chapters a week. If that makes more sense, as far as you know, the, the novels are getting more and more dense and more interconnected. So, but yeah, so it is, we're going to continue to do it similarly, but obviously we want to keep them as compact as possible, as reasonable. So we may change up our style a little bit. So we're, we're planning on getting back after it. Short of that, I appreciate y'all. You can hit us up at patreon.com slash the podcast was on fire. Patreon.com slash the podcast was on fire. We uh, post updates and, and, you know, for everyone over there. And also for members, you get the pod a little bit early. Anyone who was looking for updates got a, uh, little picture of Lissy and our oldest sister Brenna <laughs> last week as well. There's your Christmas present. But yeah, the podcast was on fire at gmail.com. The podcast was on fire at gmail.com and all the socials. Beyond that, what do you got, Liz? Thank you so so much for the great almost year where we're at and happy new year, everybody. Absolutely. I can't believe it's been a year of this. Really, really cool. Happy New Year, guys. Um make 2024 be the one that they all remember. Whatever that means. <laughs> I appreciate you so much. Thank you, guys. This has been Proven Guilty. We move on to White Knight next week. We're going to start with the first six chapters and go from there of White Knight. Very good times. We are jogging along here. Many of you guys know and are excited about the same things that I'm excited about to keep to get creeping up on here. So definitely cannot wait for those. And I love these chats with y'all. Getting back, even when it's a hundred people saying that was was you idiot. <laughs> um, no one, no one was unkind. Uh, but it was yeah. funny how, how many people were like, uh, "Yeah, you guys just missed that one." <laughs> yeah, totally, hundred thousand percent. 
Uh, I blame all I, have to, all I have to say is in this upcoming book, Mouse had better not be not be put at risk. Okay, that's all I'm asking for. No okay. more mouse being put at risk. <laughs> <laughs> no more having uh, a half hour or an hour of Lissy thinking Mouse is dead. Yes, it was awful. <laughs> it was it was funny for us. I'm sure it was. <laughs> Jackass. <laughs> As Butcher tries to find ways to put us in pain. Oh, completely. I try to find ways to put you in pain. <laughs> Get a little payback for my years and years of Dresden fandom. I, oh, well, goodness. I appreciate you, Lissy. I appreciate everyone out there listening. And uh, for better or worse, I have been Josh. And I am Alyssa. With the podcast was on fire. And it wasn't my fault. I was hanging out with a friend and his roommate and we were watching the dark side of the dark side of the ring. Uh-huh. And it was a, one of the stories I heard. I was like, wait, didn't he such, wasn't he so-and-so and so, and like, and they, the roommate looked at me and he's like, you watch wrestling. I said, no, <laughs> I, I listened to a subscribing sports podcast. He's like, I was really impressed. And I, and they were, I kept knowing things and he was just like, what podcast is this? <laughs> but I'm like, yeah, no, totally. Wait, hold on. Didn't this guy do that? Wait, was he the guy that got arrested for that? <laughs> He's like, <laughs> he just looked at me like just absolutely aghast. Like, you watch wrestling? <laughs> no, <laughs> but it's great. That's awesome. <laughs>